Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker. The pro wrestling world is currently on fire. And so we've got you covered five days a week on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Every Monday and Thursday, hang out with me and Kaz on the Masked Man Show. And this is Peter Rosenberg, the host of Cheap Heat. Join me and my guys, Stack Guy Greg and Dipperstein, on Tuesdays and Fridays. We talk wrestling, we have bagel breakdowns, mage interviews, and so much more. And Ben Cruz here. Come kick it with me, Cal, and Brian on Wednesday Worldwide, where we hit the most interesting headlines and even react to some of Mass Man's, Cheap Heats, or even your hottest takes. Don't tap out, tap in to the Ringer Wrestling Show feed, now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay mage, everyone. Worldwide. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. Welcome to another Friday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show, joined by my betting buddy, my compadre, as always, Mr. Joe House. We are going to be recapping the Super Bowl from Las Vegas. We are going to be talking a little bit about some of our takeaways about the narrative that has come out from the Super Bowl over the past week. And we're going to turn the page and look forward a little bit to the 2024 season house. Let me just ask you on the surface level, how did some of your bets do? Like big picture, were you up or were you down for the Super Bowl? Well, Sharpie, first of all, kudos to you. You are on this podcast playing hurt, uh, but the you got to respect the hustle. You went out to Las Vegas. You spent your your usual full week. You interviewed. You were being interviewed. You're on the TV, and then you came home with the COVID, which is still out there and you wrote um in in your note the, your, your newsletter to all the subscribers about you know just it was the the worst super bowl experience you ever had in terms of consuming a super bowl but your uh wagering approach and your own handicapping was successful it will come as no surprise to the listeners of this show that i had a great day i had a great day because I was heavily invested in Kansas City. It was my view that Kansas City um, as an underdog was an opportunity. And over the course of the couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, and, and I bounced this off of you, the play that started to feel the best to me was the tease. I knew I wanted to get Kansas City at eight or eight and a half. The market offered that for the majority of the two weeks. And then I had to make a decision because there was no other leg to tease that with no other, um, uh, spread leg to tease that with. How was I going to play the total? And I ended up playing 
both an over and an under. <laughs> I played uh, a a seven point you know tease to uh, the under while the total was at forty seven and a half, and I played a six point tease um, with fifty three to 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 the to the under, so over forty one. Uh, and as as it turned out, Sunday morning the total dropped from forty seven and a half to forty six and a half. And so I, I, I layered in, you know, <laughs> another sprinkle because then I could just play it at a normal six point tease. Didn't have to lay the extra juice, but I was heavily invested in Kansas City because the basic driving thesis was this to me lined up as a 50 50 game. And I couldn't um, come up with a compelling case for the San Francisco defense. For sure, had so much respect for the San Francisco offense. Made some investments in in, in props along that line, uh, along those lines. But at the end of the day, um, you know, my side was Kansas City, so it turned out well for for, for me. Did you end up getting involved in uh, side total action? Because over the course of those two weeks, what when we were talking, you were still like, "I'm not ready to fire." Well, the reason I wasn't ready to fire is because I was anticipating that total to drop. And my preference probably about three days into my research was the tease that you were suggesting with the dog and the over. Uh, but I knew that the total was probably likely to drop. My raw number on the total was like something like 46.8. The total was sitting at 47 and a half. I anticipated that it was going to get bet down to the under. And so I'm sitting here waiting and you've got two full weeks before you need to make a bet. The game doesn't kick off until 630. But naturally, like, you know, there are, there are clients out there of my service who want to know what we're firing on and want to fire on something and don't like waiting. And so I held off until Sunday, but the reality is I, I, I could have held off even a few more hours because I, I just knew it was going to drop even further. Um, and so as it was dropping, I continued to personally bet it at varying different numbers. Um, I made it clear to you on the show, to the listeners, um, as well as to my clients that if you're doing that, you have to get the 41. Uh, the 41 is very important. And as it turned out, like that number was quite important because when the game was 19 to 16 and the Chiefs had the ball and they were within range to tie it, you knew that you're basically good because you get a field goal and then another field goal in overtime and where's it land? 41 exactly. So as long as you had over 40 and a half, you were feeling good in either of those situations. Um, so that's where that's where I ended up. Now it was not without a lot of consternation or thought, and you know, from our show on was it fr Friday or we did it earlier on Tuesday yeah, from week. the Super Bowl right. last week. Um, from that show, you guys know that I went on this opening monologue slash rant about my initial thought on what I believed to be the case for the Super Bowl was that the Niners were going to have the edge is because they should run the ball down their throat. They should have success doing that. That's what I thought like when the matchup was first announced. But I said, if you believe that same thing that I believed when the matchup was first announced, you're wrong. That's not going to like, I, I, I'm going to stand here firmly and say you're wrong. 
Uh, most people don't agree with me, but I think you're going to be wrong because I think there's a world where Steve Spagnuolo actually limits Christian McCaffrey. And lo and behold, Steve Spagnuolo holds Christian McCaffrey, I want to say, to 3.7 or 3.9 yards per carry. COVID brain is messing up the exact number, but they limited Christian McCaffrey and, uh, and, and put the game more onto Brock Purdy's shoulders. And so, um, you know, overall, uh, my general reflection on the Super Bowl, I've got a, I've got a few general thoughts here, house big picture, and then we can dive in a little bit deeper. Um, number one, how crazy is it that a team is in the midst of a dynasty, right? That began in 2019 for the Kansas City Chiefs. And they, st- in 2019, they had their same play caller and they're on the offensive side of the ball and their same play caller on the defensive side of the ball that they still have here entering the tw- 2024 season. I and mean, it seems unfair, but the reality is like there aren't that many teams that have great track records that have the good fortune of keeping their offensive play caller and their defensive play caller. But Andy Reid obviously isn't going anywhere because he's the head coach. And Steve Spagnuolo, I mean, <laughs> they, they, they've produced the greatest trick in the world to convince other teams not to hire this guy for the head coach. I mean, like, it's so amazing. You've got like Lou Anaromo in, Can- in Cincinnati. You've got Steve Spagnuolo in Kansas City and two like great defensive minds and like, they can't get a head coaching job. They can't get head coaching interviews. So, like these guys are are back again. And uh, there was a lot of uh, a, t- a talent wash in Cincinnati. So let's not waste our time talking about Lou. But uh, you know, Steve Spagnolo, for for my money, one of the best singular game plan divisors in modern football uh, on that side of the ball. And like he's gonna no matter the ebbs and flows of the roster talent, he's going to figure out ways to put his guys in the best places and come up with great defensive game plans. Um, so that was one. And then another quick one, and I'll let you react, is I I, I just still don't want to hear it about Kyle Shanahan. Like I said this before the game, I'll, I'll say it now, and you may have different takes and let's have a narrative uh, and discourse for this, but um, he's an elite coach. He's not perfect. Nobody is. Um, he's lost Super Bowls to Patrick Mahomes in overtime, Tom Brady in overtime, and Patrick Mahomes in regulation. Uh, a lot of great coaches have done much worse. And um, on the topic of take the ball first, don't take the ball, and all this discussion that's come out over this last you know week since the Super Bowl, you know, should the players have known and been better informed on what to do? Yes. Could there have been a reason why Kyle didn't tell them and he wanted them to focus on the things he really wanted them to focus on? Possibly. Would I still have told the players if I was the coach what our strategy was? Yes. But is that what lost the game because he didn't tell the players what the strategy was? No. Is what lost the game the fact that he didn't take the that he chose to take the ball first? That singular decision? No, that singular decision isn't what lost him the game. Um, the game was lost out on the field. When you look at the analytics guys before, like when they announced the rule change, it's like 51% of the simulations were won by the team that took the ball first. So you should take the ball first by the slightest margin. And then you look at the teams and they can't like 
across the 32 teams. And there's some polling done of some of the analytics guys on those teams. They didn't know. There was no strong decider. Oh, like 80% of them will take the ball second. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was basically a coin flip. So to me, that says two things. Number one, it's a pretty damn good rule. Uh, the the rules for overtime because it's pretty even. If people, the smartest people in the rooms can't have an overwhelming consensus as to which side they'd fall onto. And B, how how can you criticize Kyle and say that that lost him the game when the data shows that that's not the case? Like it's patently not the reason why they lost the game. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you're going to be on the other side of the fence and we could talk about it, but what, what what's your take on those two thoughts? Yeah, let me pick up first on the overtime thing. And I love that observation. It's a good rule. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed watching what turned out to be a full extra quarter of football. We had five quarters in a Super Bowl. And um, the game strategy that came to the to the fore kind of immediately was like, you know, speaking of not preparing for all the possibilities as a football fan, as a consumer of the product, as a better in the betting space, it immediately changed my headspace around the potential outcomes, um, you know, the, the way the thing might, might play out. And in the moment, I didn't have uh, a, a conviction around whether or not um, Shanahan made the right call by taking the the ball. One of the things that I think um, was especially compelling is because it's so, so a, a close call on an analytics basis, then it really brings um, to the to the front of mind the analysis by the coach about what's the game circumstance. Was my defense just on the field, uh, and did my defense just give up a a long, long, long drive? Would I prefer to not have my defense on the field? first um and you know what are the circumstances under which how we were faring on the offensive side of the ball in, in the fourth quarter do we have a pronounced advantage where i feel like i can go execute on that those kinds of considerations are relevant and on the table and i think that's fascinating my only quibble with um Shanahan taking the ball first and you know i'm i'm going to you know sound a little bit like the usual square that i am i think you need to have one rule that applies to when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and another rule for the remaining 31 teams. And what I mean by that is if you take the ball first and you're up against Patrick Mahomes, then you need to play four down football and you need to score a touchdown. You need to be committed to playing the game script the exact same way that the Chiefs are going to play. You can't confer the advantage to the Chiefs. You can't countenance the possibility of either a um, uh, a punt, obviously, or, or a field goal, you need to try to score a touchdown. That's the only option in front of you, and you need to use four downs to do so. So that's my sort of take on on um, the Shanahan decision piece of this, Sharpie. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, House, that when you go up against Patrick Mahomes, you have to play ultra-aggressively. And if you look, I mean, was it since... Their last three drives, they scored a touchdown, a field goal, and a field goal. Those two field goal drives for the Kansas City Chiefs went uh, 64 and 69 yards. So, I mean, they were moving the ball the length of the field. Um, and it's not like the Niners didn't. I mean, they drove uh, 66 yards, I guess, uh, 76 in total with a with a penalty. Um, so, they, they moved the ball, you know. 
they had they had the opportunity at the end there. It just didn't go their way. And so that that one singular, you know, their failure in the red zone and the Chiefs' success, um, like obviously changes the entire narrative of the game and how we discuss it. How we're discussing Kyle Shanahan afterwards, but um, there's no doubt about it. You you have to be ultra aggressive when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And look, I think you know, zooming out even further, it's it's amazing how this Kansas City Chiefs team um, offensively, you know, ebbed and flowed and what they became this season in terms of their limitations, what they had to lean a little bit more onto. Um, and it's, it's. I was saying it as we were handicapping this game and, and sort of the end of the year, especially after that Baltimore Ravens game, but it's, it's that, that eye of the champion, like it's, it's that eye of the tiger that they sort of had and 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 you know there was zero complacency there was zero satisfaction there was zero um uh relief over every step that they took and marching through to the postseason uh it, it was just like pure fire uh to to get the next super bowl like there was just an urgency on their part and we've seen that in some other great championship teams and and guys like Michael Jordan and other sports. Can, can um, I ask you a question about that? Absolutely. There was a ton of anti Kansas City money that flowed in both on the Baltimore game which I certainly, you know, understood but then same thing um in the su- in the Super Bowl do you have any insight into what the sort of informing thesis was? Um, I mean, the, the Baltimore one, I, I think, is is perfectly sort of uh, understandable. But San Francisco on a neutral field um, was was kind of a different animal from my perspective. Um, what, what was what was driving that? Yeah, so you know, the Baltimore one was understandable to a point. Uh, I would say. But then it got it moved beyond understandable, in my opinion. Like it, it, it moved from okay, you know, three, three and a half, four, okay, four, four and a half, like five, like you know, it, it moved. There was so much uh, anti Kansas City money in the marketplace that was coming in, and you know what I could tell you from my experience with some of the bigger betting groups is. Um, <laughs> These groups are stubborn and they believe in themselves a ton. Okay. So the two things, not necessarily terrible when you're, when you're very successful at, at, at betting on sports. Um, but it's, is the general concept that, um, we're right. We should have been right in ball in the Baltimore game. We're going to not make that mistake. We're, we're going to be right again here in the Super Bowl. And, you know, they, they were the ones piling in all the money. You saw all of the, it was definitely more of like, oh, well, the, even though the books won in the Super Bowl, it was more of like, well, the public's on the Chiefs, the sharp money's on the Niners, they show the ticket count, all the top 10 largest bets are all on the Niners. Uh, that's from the, the, the sharper group that was bet, same guys that were betting the Ravens or betting the Niners. And, you know, that that was the fun part about this season. House every every team was flawed in various different ways, and so I said entering the these playoffs with you on the show that this playoff run, like they all do, is really going to come down to matchups. Like every team is flawed, but which team it matches up the best against their opponent in that particular game to have the most success. And there's no doubt that these guys with their 
deep pockets um, and their ability to move the market were lining up week after week, betting against the Kansas City Chiefs. It is just an opinion that they had. They thought that maybe they were like, I don't know the the thought process. I know from my own handicapping, logical reasons why that someone would be betting the Ravens and logical reasons why somebody would be betting the 49ers. I liked the Ravens in that game. I did not like the 49ers at the end of the day, having done the level of research that I ended up doing, which, which again, backing out. Thank goodness that I did that level of research, in my opinion, because otherwise I would have lost a bunch of money on the San Francisco 49ers. But that just, it. one other lesson that I took out of the Super Bowl was when you can, you need to spend the time. And for me, I've always been somebody who likes to really parse through the data, likes to try to analyze things. I'm okay with taking subsets of information. I'm okay with thinking, hey, something changed. Hufanga got injured. What's happened since? Even though it may be a small sample size, I want to understand what's happening in that small sample size. And um, you know, the way the way that the Kansas City Chiefs were playing in the first half of games versus the second half offensively and why they were making those changes in the second half and what they needed to do it a little differently. And at the end of the day, right, the Super Bowl was razor thin. It wasn't like there was a massive, oh my God, you know, see, there's a clear advantage. But we talked about how this Super Bowl was going to potentially be decided by those razor thin margins. It's like the little space in the margins. These are the things that might decide the game. And so if you're not researching those things and trying to feel comfortable with those things in your position, if you're just betting on the game because Mahomes is a dog, or you're just betting on the game because Christian McCaffrey should be able to run the football a lot, like you're doing yourself a disservice because those aren't the things that are going to necessarily decide the game. And ultimately, there was, you know, you can go down the list of a lot of different things that added together decided the game. Um, then again, one one fumble that doesn't happen, or you know, and the Chiefs fumble the ball a bunch on the ground, and they yeah. were, were fortunate to recover it. You had a bunch of Chiefs drives into the red zone where they then settled for field goals. Like if they scored a touchdown, it may like maybe they could have afforded to give up one of those fumbles. But if they had gotten a little bit better, what were they like one for five or two for five down inside of the red zone? So um, like they were terrible inside the red zone offensively. So like if one of those plays goes one way, or if a fumble goes another way, like you know, the game is up for grabs. It went to overtime after all. So just That's a right. great way to end the season, in my opinion, like a, a true coin flip game and a true coin flip uh, decision at the end with Kyle Shanahan to, to, to take the ball. And like this, this Super Bowl was reflective of the season. I just got to say, looking back on the season house, if you have any like big picture takeaways on the season, but for me, um, I'm just thankful that the, that the that the season got going down that second stretch, and because that first half of the season was some of the worst football I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I, I dreaded tuning into Sundays. Uh, I will like be completely frank about it. The way that we were seeing, I mean, we were seeing games like 23 to six. And it was like a blowout, but it was low scoring and there was nothing happening in the second half of games. And I think I don't play it, but fantasy guys were going berserk about the lack of production that was happening from some of their big guys. Uh, nobody was trying to score in the, in the end of these games. They were ending boring for the most part. Um, and so I wrote this article, like this in-depth study uh, 
see it published here because it's still my sticky tweet, October 18th. You know, what were we like six, seven weeks into the season? Yeah. And um, I honestly think that from that point on, I'm going to go back and check. I think they, the refs changed the way that they were calling an eligible man downfield because I didn't see it called nearly as much as it did to start the season. There were still some, but it wasn't quite as bad. Um, I want to see how they altered their penalties based upon what was happening in the beginning part of the season. But I'm thankful that the season started to play out a little bit better um, and it was more competitive and it was entertaining down the stretch. But this was not one of the better NFL seasons, in my opinion. Well, I do wonder, as we sort of turn our eyes towards the 2024 season, if there is anything actionable around the way that this most recent season played out over those first eight weeks. Now, you know, again, the constant challenge with the modern NFL is the size of the sample. We have a sample size problem. And the biggest aspect of that to me is the fact that we are living in an 18-week, 17-game uh, you know, um, season condition. This is what the the third season coming up now of, of that. Like, correct? It's, yeah. It and 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 we're just on the outside of 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 COVID, right? You know, COVID impacted the first ver- season of this, so we don't really. I don't. I don't think have our arms completely around how teams are preparing for a season of this length with this number of games. I mean, some teams have for sure taken to completely ignoring the preseason, like the Rams. You know, there are certain coaches who now will not play, you know, virtually any of their starters on in any kind of meaningful way. Um, so they're the, the preseason has, you know, become additional sort of, of practice. But the first third of the season, which is really what you're describing in terms of, of you know, the low scoring and the way that penalties were being called, it feels like the first third of the season might end up being for us under this sort of new uh, length season, season length regime, um, a little bit more sort of experimental. It, it was, it was, it was teams, you know, kind of going through their own uh, experiment and being patient. And, um, you know, the same thing true of the league with it, with its referees, right? They, they come into the season with an emphasis and over a certain period of time, it's clear that that you know the things that they were emphasizing in terms of of the the refereeing were ha- was having an impact on on the games, and then they changed course. I'm, I I bet your research you know will will bear that out. So as handicappers, as we are you know we'll be sitting in these chairs um, come August of 2024. We're looking at the beginning of the season, and we're looking at forecasted win totals, and you know trying to to project, you know, conference division winners and conference winners and so forth. I I do wonder now if there is um, you know, any any kind of approach that we can sort of drill down into to capture, you know, kind of the 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 first third of the season maybe. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Um I I do think that's a great idea though. Uh maybe there was an element of teams trying to play a certain way to preserve their bodies, preserve their players. And so at the beginning of the season, they were comfortable taking the air out of the football late, not running as many plays. Um, You know, uh, I got to look a little bit more into that and how it compared. I know 
like the prior year in 2022, that really wasn't the case. But um, I think the penalties were definitely a big factor here. Uh, some of the unwritten emphasis that they were placing on uh, certain rules, even though they weren't announcing them, was a factor here. Um, so maybe there was a little bit of the self-preservation angle with the longer season, and and we might see a repeat of that this upcoming year. I'm not quite sure. I hope that's not the case because it was just gross football, and I think everybody was complaining about it. I mean, I'm just remembering back to like week three and four and five, like the 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 narrative around the league and 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 people that I speak with specifically, but also like the public on on social media, it was just gross. Nobody really liked it. It was, it was disgusting. And then all of a sudden you had, uh, you know, I wrote this article. I felt like things started to get a little better. Then Travis Kelsey starts dating Taylor Swift and that becomes a narrative <laughs> and discussion. And all of a sudden, like more people start tuning into the NFL as like the points per game are increasing and, and, and players are performing a little bit better. And then you saw the playoff push. And, uh, but I guess the one takeaway that I would have, the one like caution, word of caution that I would give to teams, if they are trying the course of, um, biding their time and keeping their guys healthy and all this type of crap if the, if that's really what was happening look no further than what happened to the Kansas City Chiefs if the, if if the Kansas City Chiefs were playing into that at all okay which i don't know that they were but if they were the best team in football barely made the playoffs right like they they were a 7 seed they had to as a result not get a first round bye they had to go on the road in the divisional and conference championship rounds of the playoffs like and that's the best team in football and 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 they won those games narrowly right those were one score wins in buffalo in baltimore so you don't want to do that you you don't you you can't i'm sure kansas city if it happened again they they would opt not to do that either. There's no chance in the world that they would want to go through that again. And so they absolutely have to figure out a better strategy, a better way to still win games and still produce offensively despite the fact that it's a longer season, despite the fact that they want to preserve their bodies for the end. They got to win games so that they don't have to be going on the road in the playoffs. That's kind of the worst thing. You'd love to have a bye, but more than anything, you don't want to be going on the road during the playoffs. It's just a much more difficult situation. Uh, and they found themselves, if they were playing at home, they wouldn't have been underdogs, right? They found themselves as underdogs on the road against these teams in hostile environments for the first time. They figured out a way to get through it, but this is not something they want to repeat again. So I would hope that they don't Play the same, play the same way, and other teams sure as shit better not because they're worse than the Chiefs. Well, yeah, I mean, some of it for sure had had to do with to me um, sorting out the hand they, they they were dealt. I mean, you you hit this um, in some of our preview work about the the Kansas City having the the you know one of the worst receiver rooms in the league and sort of the variance surrounding. You know, they ended up with the highest number of drops and and. All of the metrics that re that reflect poorly on that receiver room. So it was an ongoing experiment, and that was somewhat by design, right? Because they had to allocate resources in other places, mainly the quarterback, which is kind of not not the worst decision, right? I mean that they they didn't have the same flexibility as um, San Francisco 
to build out the depth across the board at, at, at position. So one of the positions that that suffered for Kansas City was was receiver, a, a unique circumstance for sure. Um, other sort of aspects of, as we turn towards uh, 2024, earlier this week um, with the East Coast Bias Boys, we just jumped into the sports book, the FanDuel sports book, to see what some of the Super Bowl uh, odds look like. And, and FanDuel has conference championship odds up also. And, and as much as anything, it's a curiosity to sort of see what's an early market for, for some of these things. Um, we're not saying to anybody that you should jump right in today and tie up your money for the remaining 360 days, you know, between now and when the next year's Super Bowl is. Um, but if you're in Vegas or, or a, you know, a place uh, with legal gambling, you want to grab a $10 ticket, by all means, um, go nuts. But in terms of the kinds of things that I am already looking at and trying to build um, a, a case for, so the the elements are cap position and draft position and there's lots of good resources out there that will show you the teams that there that might go through some wholesale positional changes because of cap imp- implications um and or a desire by those teams to replace certain units like i hope washington with all of its uh cap space looks to improve its offensive line maybe at all five positions um and then you know so the, the the sort of draft capital that that the teams have, we can at this stage right now because we know who's playing who. We don't know the schedule, but we can at least have um, some a raw look at strength of schedule um, and and formulate you know kind of of an opinion. And personnel wise, and this is uh, you you might tell me that this is a dumb way of looking at things, but based on the experience that's right in our rearview mirror. I want to know which, you know, whether or not um, the teams that I'm inclined to invest in have two good quarterbacks. I'm I'm no longer going to uh, countenance the risk of a team, you know, lo- losing its its primary quarterback, you know, which is the, the the true basis for how how many wins are out there. How what's this team's true potential? Can the team hang in there with its backup? quarterback uh, complement. That's definitely an element of my handicapping now. 66 different starting quarterbacks this past season. I want to know the depth at the quarterback position. That's definitely going to be part of my my, my future assessment, Sharpie. What, what do you think about those sort of factors as we go along here? I, I agree with, uh, with understanding the roster situation. That's something I spend a lot of time on as I'm writing the chapters in my book trying to get a sense as to what the team has available to them as as and what they were up against and the uh strengths of their roster um so that's certainly something cap uh space draft pick availability um it's hard to get to count on rookies uh to to deliver uh something meaningful in their first year occasionally it happens but uh, you you temper your expectations there a little bit, um, but as it relates to kind of my thought process with this and with the way that I like to approach the off season, I I tend to spend a lot of time digging and rooting around in the mud to try to f- figure out where I want to go before I just uh, approach the market. So being that um, 
I I got COVID on Saturday uh, last week before the Super Bowl. What, spent COVID in a haze. I spent the Super Bowl in a haze uh, watching the game, and then I've just been kind of trying to get my wits about me. Uh, I haven't had a chance to dig into anything yet, but what I will be factoring in, of course, are some of the things you mentioned, including uh, strength of schedule, which is vital, um, and doing a whole strength of schedule analysis, which I will be doing in not not too long from now to try to understand team strengths because I definitely believe in that. Um, you know, kind of you have to understand the vision of these teams and where they want to go, how quickly they think that they need to get there. Uh, how many years is their coach in? You know, like, is he on the hot seat? Is this a must-win year? Are they building for the future? Do they have a little bit of time, a la the Arizona Cardinals of last season, right, where they have time, they have a new coach, they don't need to rush into anything right now. Um, the two-quarterback thing, I get it. It's great if you have it, but um, I think it's tricky trying to understand, like, or, or trying to limit a team, for exa- example, like the Cincinnati Bengals. You say, ah, oh, well, I don't know who the backup quarterback is. Jake Browning probably got to be terrible. Um, I'm going to not have any interest in doing anything with the Cincinnati Bengals because they don't have a backup quarterback. Well, you know, the reality is once Jake Browning got in there, he wasn't dog shit. Like he was okay. Um, and he wasn't Joe Burrow, but was that the re- sole reason that the team was bad last year. No, they were they lost too many games with Joe Burrow and company in there. It was because their defense had fallen off uh too much and then they sustained some other offensive injuries. So I I don't know about limiting the upside of a team just because they don't have a good backup quarterback. That's the one that I would push back on, I guess, the most. But um those other factors are big for sure. It's certainly fair enough because the Browns showed us the Cleveland Browns had five different starting quarterbacks. So (laughs) there's, there's the rebuttal. That was such a wild season. I didn't didn't get to Flacco in my handicapping, but what I will say is, you know, um, alongside that, that quarterback analysis, I'm also looking at, at the, the sort of what is their offensive um, game plan? How are they loaded up? Like, is this a running team? Is this a team that wants to establish the run? Do they have a strong offensive line? Like all of those things sort of go into it, but I am not going to be in the position uh, that we were just in with the Jets, right? Everybody in, in the world is extraordinarily uh, bullish on the, the Jets uh, proposition coming into the 2023-2024 season be- because of Aaron Rodgers. We're, we're one play out of Rodgers and they never did anything to fix the situation. They sacrificed an entire season because of the manner in which they they constructed that quarterback room. So, I mean, and they, I, I think a, a fair enough kind of criticism also levied at Atlanta. Atlanta sacrificed a season because it did not come into the season with a viable um, character in, in, in the quarterback room. Um, you know, obviously... The injury to Cousins was uh, derailing for for the Vikings, and the Vikings, you know, found out that they had ton of talent on 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 both sides of the ball, especially you know the way that that defense over the course of the season, the tr- defense dropped off at the end, and ultimately the lack of um, you know sort of stability in the quarterback room is what undid them. But you know that that those those some of those kinds of situations. For sure. I mean, I, I am not going to do what we did last year, which is look at strength of schedule 
for the Saints and for um, Atlanta and and give them any kind of sizable, you know, sort of a- a advantage I'm out on 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 doing that. Uh, we 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 tried our best with that last season, and you know, again, coming from you from my square chair here in Washington D.C., it's February the sixteenth, and I'm here to tell you the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints can fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, indeed. Um, if you don't. What, what, and I, I wrote, cause I was on the Atlanta Falcons as well. And I wrote, if Desmond Ritter does not take that next step, this could be a problem, right? Like we needed Desmond Ritter to take that next step. It was there for the taking. Like they had the opportunities in front of them. And like that meme, you're not that guy. Like he, he's <laughs> not that guy, right? Like the, he's, he's not that guy. Um, mm-hmm. And that sunk the bet like that, that sunk it is the fact that because they had the the opportunities, they had the games, they they were winnable. Um, they had the personnel. Yeah. Desmond Ritter being not that guy, Arthur Smith making some questionable decisions and some game planning decisions. Uh, it just it just wasn't in the cards for either of them. I think one of the things that we should be spending some time on this offseason and actually one of my guys, Ray uh, Summerlin, wrote a big article about this all the coaching moves from the dcs and the ocs because there is a ton of oc movement we really if you're going to bet futures you really have to understand who is calling the shots in these different cities now and what their philosophies are what their backgrounds are what some of the coach speak has been between the head coach and the oc in terms of what he's going to let this guy do what he wants this guy to do what the guy's excited to do um to get a better sense as to like the offense that they might be running, because you're really not going to see too much of it until some of the mini camp work. Uh, but you, you really can get a better sense as to what's going on. And there's been a, just a lot of, a lot of turnover in part because these teams, I don't know, some of their hiring decisions are really head scratchers as well. And so they bring in these guys that probably shouldn't be brought in and then they don't end up working out. And it's like, Oh, well, no wonder. Uh, but it's it, it's a tough business and there's a lot of quick turnover. So you got to understand who's now calling the, the, the plays in different cities. Yeah. And, and that's definitely an element of this handicapping. I'm going to wait on that for some of the, the big, like just as an example, I, I like the dolphins at, uh, what are they available at 20 to one as a potential, you know, Super Bowl candidate. I like the strength of schedule. Um, didn't like what happened between Mike McDaniel and Vic Fangio. Didn't like Vic, Vic Fangio uh, only there for a year. How do we, you know, sort of process um, that situation? So it all it all factors in. But Sharpie, uh, I'm already ready for, for the next season. The the draft isn't far off, right? I hear you. I am as well. Um, I, I think there's a lot of. I mean, this off season, this is where you could really. I've got. I'm wearing this Super Bowl cap, but you, you put on your creative thinker cap. Uh, you pr- you put on your interesting researcher cap, and you start digging into a lot of these things. And it's a much more relaxing time. I mean, the, the regular season is uh, a shit show. It's a grind. It's brutal. Um, you know, thank thankfully I survived to get COVID for the first time until after the season was over, more or less. Uh, because having that during the season, I mean, it's just such a grind. Now it's fun. Like the research part is is fun, and there's a lot to dig into, a lot to unpack. Um, I love doing it. It's a long process, but 
It helps us get ready for the season. Um, and I can't wait. I can't wait for the off season. I can't wait for doing a little bit of strength of schedule analysis for when they actually announce the schedule to see where the teams are placed and, and what, um, difficulties certain teams are having to deal with and what benefits certain teams are receiving from the schedule. Um, and then seeing the draft, seeing the, seeing, um, uh, free agency. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful time to be an NFL fan because it's very low stress, but it's still exciting. There's no, there's very few uh, down months in the NFL calendar now. There's something almost every single month and I can't wait. Yeah, that makes two of us, buddy. Uh, I love doing the season with you. Congrats to all of the successes. One of the things I definitely will be, um, you know, joining you on this upcoming season especially the the success in the props market that you the offering that you guys had in that space you know and and it's become a really uh interesting speaking of all the ways we can do research and stuff and sorry and handicap how this stuff is coming out. on a week-to-week basis that props market was really fun to to get into especially trying to pull together a couple uh correlated parlays um along the way but uh Continued successes to both of us uh, as we get ready for this upcoming draft for this uh, free agency season, right? Absolutely. I can't wait. And and to everybody out there who's listening for this season, you know, we really appreciate you guys contributing your uh, wacky and zany parlays for us each week to <laughs> sift through. That was, them. A, that was a lot of fun uh, from the betting buddies out there. Um, and, you know, we've enjoyed your participation in the show all season long. It's been a blast. Uh, so everybody out there, you know, obviously this is going to conclude the uh, final show for the 2023 season. And then we're going to look ahead to uh, the 2024 season moving on uh, from there. So certainly loved doing it this year with you once again, House. Was well, this our third straight year or fourth year? I don't even remember. I want to say it's our fourth year doing it together on Fridays, but it's been a blast and uh, certainly looking forward to this offseason and uh, getting us prepared for next year. And, and that'll do it, everyone. Thank you guys for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will return next week. Thanks to Joe House for joining me and to Chris Sutton and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. See you next season. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Well, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800- 522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit 
mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.